Welcome back, NEC Hoops fans, to the NEC on the Run podcast, week six. My name's Ron Ratner. I am here with Ryan Peters. You find him on X at Pioneer underscore Pride. And we will give you all your NEC men's basketball news of the week. Ryan, let's start just by taking a general look at the standings. Seems like we have three tiers of form. We have Central and Merrimack battling it out for the top. A complete traffic jam in the middle. There's one game separating the teams in third and seventh place. Then you have SFU and Stonehill fighting for that last playoff bid. Only eight teams will make the tournament, nine in the league. So let's start at the top. It's shaping up as somewhat of a titanic battle right now between Central and Merrimack. They are going, you know, punch for punch, week for week, hanging together in first place. Both teams swept last week. Coming out of this weekend's play, let's start with Central. What were your takeaways? They just took care of business in New Britain. They knocked off in-state foe Sacred Heart. It's their first win over the Pioneers since the Obama administration. (laughs) It's been a while. It has been a while. And I saw that in a tweet, so I didn't come up with that on my own. I'm stealing (laughs) that, but that was was a great tweet. And they took care of business against FDU, which, you know, had, you know, before this week started, they had visions of getting into that top two possibly because they were coming in on a roll. So, you know, Pat Sellers group, they're winning different ways. This time they won it with defense. You know, they held Sacred Heart and FDU to combined 0.86 point per, points per possession, held them to 35% from inside the arc. And uh, now Central Connecticut's in the top 200 in adjusted defense efficiency. They haven't been in the top 250 since the 2011-12 season under Howie Dickman. So they're just doing a great job defensively. And then Jordan Jones, he's such a weapon. He was unstoppable against Sacred Heart, 33 points on 16 shots. 2,000 people at Dietrich Gymnasium on, on Thursday. That's pretty cool. I mean, they're coming back to their heyday when, you know, Howie Dickman had these had this program really running and, and winning a lot of games. And uh, on Saturday, you know, they everyone had a, a hand in the effort. Kellen Amos with 16 points, six rebounds, two blocks. Their whole starting lineup had at least eight points so each, so it was a really balanced effort. And uh, it got tight near the end, but Central Connecticut, a 32-9, spurt to start that game gave them just enough separation against FDU and look at them now nine and two tied right with Merrimack and uh, it's going to be Merrimack for them for the one and two seed right now yeah good teams will find a way to win those games when FDU made their push in the second half Central had as you said they had enough they won the game I get good when you were talking about Central and the, the Howie Dickman days I mean I get goosebumps just thinking about that place being packed you know in what seems like forever ago, but they had this unbelievable run and there was such an aura about playing in Dietrich. And I'm starting to feel that, feel that again with them. When one of the things I was thinking about with central is they seem to match up well with all different kinds of teams. Like they're very adaptable and, and maybe you could say the same probably for Merrimack because they're both so skilled defensively. What do you need to do? Is there, is there a way to, beat central like what's the best way to attack that team that's a hard one because they have guys who are multifaceted you know jordan jones is great in transition he's great with the ball in his hands alan gene rose is great slashing to the rim you know he's uh he's also a guy who could finish in the mid-range helen amos is explosive when he wants to be especially when he's making his threes Jaden brown has really emerged as he's a been good really, really good junior center yeah. I mean, he's one of the most efficient guys in league play this year and he's, you know, protecting the rim on defense. And so, yeah, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing. I mean, you kind of have to, I think, slow the game down because the central team is so lethal in transition. 
So that's kind of the formula Merrimack has, right? You know, Merrimack wants to grind it down to a game that's in the lower 60s in, in total possessions for each team. And um, that's one way to do it. But then you also have to make sure that, that, you know, Central doesn't hurt you from inside the arc. They're really good around the rim. I mentioned Brown and Gene Rose and Amos. Trey Breland's like been great. You know, he's either starting or off the bench. He's been uh, such a wonderful player for, for Pat Sellers. And it's a great conundrum. And you mentioned Dietrich. I think home court advantage is huge in this tournament because Dietrich, when they have over 2,000 people in that in that gym, and they will have over 2,000 people for every single home game in the NEC tournament, that's a good home court advantage for the Blue Devils. We saw last year Merrimack, they have quite a, a pretty good home court advantage as well. You know, they played it. They played in that hockey arena for the you know the championship against FDU. That was a really good crowd. So I think home cooking is going to be very important. You want to host that NEC tournament final. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but just look at the standings. You look at the efficiency metrics. Merrimack and Central are the two best teams in the league. There's no bones about it. So you have to get hot at the right time, of course, but a home court is going to be huge going into March. So as these two teams battle it out for first right now, they've 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 separated from the pack. Like they are clearly now they're nine and two. Next up is six and five Sacred Heart. So they're two and a half games ahead with three weeks to go. So they made that break. And if these two teams are going to battle it out, as you said, home court being, you know, you you want to get home court advantage. You want to be hosting quarterfinal, semifinal, and for them, hopefully title games. Um it's going to be tough with those two teams playing the defense that you talked about. It's going to be tough to knock those two teams out. We talked about Central. Let's talk about Merrimack. You mentioned grinding out wins. That is exactly what they did against LIU on Thursday. This game was one of the weirdest, wildest games you will see all year. There were 57 fouls. There were 81 free throws. There were highlights. The you know they had the backboard came down. A lot of stuff going on, but some absolutely spectacular individual play from both sides. And coming down the stretch of that game, you had Jordan Durkak doing his thing in in regulation, and then Bud Clark just completely taking over in, in overtime. And they rally from eleven down to get the win at LIU, which just shows me that when the game's not fifty eight fifty four, Merrimack can still get it done at eighty two to seventy nine. What were your impressions from that game and then on their win over LeMoyne Saturday? I mean, all the credit to Merrimack, 17-2 run late in that game. They scored on nine straight possessions, like you said, when they were down 11. And, uh, you know, just a great win. You, you have to gut out some of these hard road games. That's the way you got to do it to get to the top of the standings. And I feel I feel a little bad for LIU because this LIU team is dangerous now. Yep. They're, they're fully healthy. They had Terrell Strickland back uh, Saturday against Sacred Heart. They have, you know, C.J. Delancey is a really active five-man. He, had, you know, he's perfect this weekend as far as shooting shooting the basketball. So LIU, I think that it's a blown opportunity, but the league has been worn now. LIU is definitely a factor in here. I don't want to take anything away from Merrimack and what they've done. They're nine and two. We expect them to be here, you know, since November and December. They've been rolling, and Dirkak got 34 points in Brooklyn. That's impressive. Um, and then against LeMoyne, they just, you know, shut them down 50 points. They held the Dolphins only 17 three-point attempts. The Dolphins love to heave it up from three. That's what the zone does. It takes away those three-point attempts. And then, you know, LeMoyne only makes six threes. They're not going to win very many games. And uh, just a great job by Merrimack. And they are obviously in the mix for that number one seed in regular season championship. I mean, it's amazing you talk about that LeMoyne 
only took 17 threes in that game when they yeah. made 18 threes two days earlier. Yeah. Like this team can bomb, go bombs away. So that's an incredible defensive effort from Merrimack to hold the Lemoyne team that had been rolling up points and some wins to hold them to 50 points. Yeah, and they also forced 23 turnovers, Merrimack did in that game. And, uh, you know, you hold Kai Cleary to six points. DePersia, McClure don't even score. Der Derek Jones, who's kind of getting on a roll, only had seven points on one of five shootings. So it was just a really strong effort from this Merrimack defense. And, uh, yeah, they're the best defense. I mean, they're top 60 right now, Ken Palm, and adjusted defensive efficiency. This is unprecedented territory for an NEC school to be at that level nationally with their defense. But it's a big reason why Merrimack is uh, a title contender. Let's get back to uh, LIU for a second. And you touched on them and them getting healthy and the fact that Terrell Strickland is back and CJ Delancey's, you know, playing really well. If you are looking at a team right now in that three to seven range that you don't want to play in the playoffs, would LIU fit that bill for you now? Absolutely. Yeah. With them being fully healthy and now Tana Copa is playing really well. He had 20 points in a win against Sacred Heart. And by the way, they dominated the Pioneers in that second half. That was, you know, a demolition. Uh, I believe it was 43 to 25 in that second half. They outscored the Pioneers. So they just ran away from a talented Sacred Heart team. But yeah, Copa making shots. Eric Acker is a great playmaker. We know Ty Strickland can, you know, get it, get it off the bounce. RJ Green's a solid role guy. You know, he's going to rebound the ball and do some defensive things for you. Joppa and Delancey are a great duo at the five, especially I love Delancey. You know, he's great. Like he's, he's an, he's an energy guy, right? He'll get you some dunks. You know, he's a good pick and roll guy who he's going to roll to the basket hard. Um, you know, so Rod Strickland's got this team going now. You know, it's, it's, it is a shame that they lost to Merrimack. They may regret that come seeding time in, in March, but yeah. If I had to pick one of these teams, whether it's like Sacred, FDU, LIU, Wagner, I think LIU is a team that I would not want to play at this moment. Okay, I I think I agree with you. It's it was that was an impressive win over Sacred Heart, and uh, I was super impressed with Terrell Strickland. hadn't played since December, comes back, and he is just dropping dimes in this game, like create as you said, creating off the bounce. And they have multiple players, the two Strickland brothers and Eric Acker, who can get off a shot whenever they want to. And they're, you know, like they're all good in the mid range. So mm -hmm. when you, not every team has that ability to, you know, guys to create shots at the end of the shot clock. And that's why they competed against Merrimack, right? Cause against that Merrimack zone, Merrimack's going to force you to take some tough mid range jumpers. And if you don't have guys who are comfortable making shots in the mid range, you're going to really struggle to score, but LIU has those playmakers. So it's one reason why they almost pulled off the upset on Thursday. Let's talk about another team coming off a win is Wagner. Wagner, again, we've talked about before. They're they're playing, they're shorthanded, but they're, you know, their their whole mantra is toughness. And you see it from game to game. You're there at the games, at the home, at their home games. You see it up close and in person. Um, they fight and they claw, and they're gonna fight and claw for a chance to host a playoff game. And they're right there right now. What's the, what is the, you know, what's the ceiling for this Wagner team? I, I like their seven, the Seahawks seven. I think it's a really good mix of guys. They all complement each other really well. And it's always a different guy each night, right? Teron Allen gets 22 points against Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, I believe Julian Brown had 23 points against Lemoyne. You know, they they you know dominated that game against the Dolphins at home, 80 to 57. Uh, you know, Melvin Council 
led the way when they had that upset win at Merrimack, probably the, the biggest upset of the, the NEC season thus far. So it's always a different guy. Javier Scare is a high IQ guy who loves taking shots. When the moment gets you know too big for a lot of players, he's good in clutch moments. And uh, this is a team defensively that's always going to kind of hang around in games, whether they're playing zone, whether they're playing man. That tough, hard-nosed defense, it just kind of – it hasn't changed from Bashir Mason to Donald Copeland. And uh, it's one reason why when they played a slow place, pace like that, and they're very active off live ball turnovers, getting out in transition, especially with Melvin Council and Lascara going out in the open floor. They're a dangerous team too. Absolutely. I mean, all those teams from three to seven, like you can make a case for them to host games and potentially advance even beyond the semifinals. There, there's, there's not... Sacred Heart and Merrimack have been the best teams, but I don't think there's a huge gap between those teams and the teams right below them in the standings right now. Uh, maybe I'll disagree a little bit. I think Central and Merrimack are head and shoulders above. You look at the efficiency metrics, you look at, you know, all these other numbers, and I just think the star power, I think both teams just have it, you know, different ways, of course, but I think there's a pretty good separation between two and three right now. Can can a three pull off an upset against a two in the semifinals? I think so, but it's going to be big time ask to go to Dietrich or to go to Hamill and and pull off the upset. So um, yeah, I think right now there's two clearly great teams in the league, and then uh, everyone else is kind of behind. You want to get hot at the right time though, right? So LIU right now they're fully healthy. They get going. You know they're dangerous. Wagner, of course, is dangerous with their defense, as I mentioned. Sacred Heart has firepower. They just have to, you know, kind of get everyone to play together. You know, they, they get different guys playing well on different nights. They can't get everyone playing well on one night. So they're all dangerous, yeah. But I think Central and Merrimack, this is their league to win. Listen, I agree that they are the top two teams, but we, we've seen these two teams. The reason I say it is because they played some really close games against teams Obviously, everybody's below them in the standings. You know, Central beating SFU by one, um, beating Wagner in overtime, playing a close game with FDU the other day. Merrimack's had, I mean, we just talked about the LIU game. I think everybody is upsettable. Is that a word? Upsettable in the tournament? Oh, I'll and allow it. I, <laughs> I think so. So, yes, they have proven through six weeks to be the best teams, but I still think that there are teams below that can make a run to be um, dangerous when we get to the semifinal round. And yes, going into a packed Lawler or Dietrich will not be easy, and it will test the mettle of any team in the league, whoever it is. Yeah, it'll be interesting from Central's perspective. You know, they if they get a home game in the semis, which it looks like they're definitely going to have one, um, you know, will there be pressure on them? You know, they haven't won in a long time, and it's taken a while for Pat Sellers to build this up to a – contender status so you wonder if there's going to be pressure on those veterans to kind of deliver you have a lot you, know, you have a couple of key fifth year guys in that team so uh, I'm not too worried about Merrimack they've kind of been there and done that I know they have some new faces but they have old faces too like Devon Savage and Dirk Hack and those guys I think they're gonna be perfectly fine and you know Diallo has been around the block with Manhattan so I think they'll be okay in the big in the big game but yeah it'll be interesting to see if the pressure mounts for these two teams that will clearly be the favorite in the semis Last thing I want to mention is let's talk about SFU for a second. And we talk about, I think you said it was with Wagner and there's a different player every game that comes to, you know, steps to the plate for them. You look at these, the freshmen, the fab five, whatever you want to call all these freshmen that Rob Primmel uh, trots out there in his starting lineup every game. Now we saw on 
Saturday, we saw uh, Bobby Rosenberger and Ace Talbert both go off, both drop 20 plus points at a game. I had to look that one up. That hasn't happened. We haven't had two freshmen with 20 in a game in about four years. So that's like a, that's a rare occurrence. And if it's one day, it's Carlos Lopez, it's Eli Wilborn winning rookie of the week. Like it's Aiden Harris has had his moments as well. That team is again, I think they can, if everything comes together, they could beat anybody on a given night. Yeah, it's going to be tricky for them, though, because they're kind of slotted in right now as a seven or eight seed. So you're probably playing Central or Merrimack in the first round of the NFC. It's not done yet. We're not done yet. We'll see. It's not done yet. They're still, you know, they're three and eight, but they still have a chance to move up. Yes. But I mean, yeah, the freshmen are really good. I mean, Ace is a great nickname, right? Ace Talbert. I love that nickname. (laughs) And his game against Stonehill, like from an efficiency standpoint, game by game, is one of the top games in the NEC this year. 21 points on 11 shots, five assists, zero turnovers for a freshman and two steals. I mean, that's that's big time. And then you mentioned Rosenberger. He had 22 points in that win as well. Eli Wilborn's a great force down low. Lopez, a shot maker. Um, yeah, the thing that's impressed me is it's been all freshmen kind of leading the charge. You know, the guys you thought you might get more of a contribution from, like Sandin or Webb or Liberius, haven't really come to fruition as much. It's been these all these freshmen that really stepped up for Rob Kremlin. Fremont can recruit, man. He's a great recruiter. He's a great play developer with, you know, Eric Taylor and Andrew Helton. I mean, they do a great job there in Loretto and uh, they're bearing more fruit uh, right now. And they're, they're going to be, if they're not a team this year, they're going to be a team to watch next year with that growing talent. Absolutely. All right. That was a comprehensive look at where we sit in the NEC standings. Now, now let's take it to our interview with Teron Allen from Wagner College. For this week's NEC Open Mic, we bring in Wagner's Teron Allen. Wagner coming off a win over FDU last week. Big game for Teron. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, Teron, let's get let's talk about that game over uh, against FDU. Career high, 22 points. You were you were cooking in this one. Nine for 11 from the field, five for six from the line. How'd you get into that rhythm in the game? Uh, it started on the defensive end for us. We came into the game with a defensive mindset and it kind of just opened up my offensive game for this game, especially knowing that it was just a big win for us, a big week for us, just trying to get the win. And we got, we came together. My teammates were there finding me uh, open shots and stuff like that, just getting me going. So Ron, let's take it back to this off season where you you had a pretty good role in Monmouth and then you put yourself out there in the transfer portal. Why Wagner? Why coach Copeland? Why did you decide to, to come to Staten Island? Well, I, I had a great experience my first two years in college at uh, Monmouth, and I just went to Portal to explore uh, different options. And just coming here, I came here on a visit, and I just watched their practice uh, before speaking to Coach Cope in person. We, you know, we spoke on the phone, but being here in my visit and just seeing them competing in practice, and it wasn't even a, a, a full practice. It was just workouts during the summertime when school was over. So it was just eye-opening to me. And then Coach Cope, uh, he preached toughness and then he explained to me everything he meant by toughness, not just being tough on the court, but just being tough in all aspects of how you carry yourself, how you walk around and just facing adversity. He preaches that. And that was just, that sold me to come here. And it was just a big family when I got here. You certainly have toughness in your game, but the thing that's really matured with your game is you become a perimeter threat of Wagner. You know, you only made a handful of threes at Mammoth. Right. Now you're excelling as a catch and shoot weapon, a uh, deep threat. 
was it all about opportunity, having the opportunity to shoot threes at Wagner or the development with Coach Copeland this offseason? Take me through why now you're a, you know, a very respectable threat from deep. Definitely uh, Coach Cope just always pushing me and expecting more from me. And then when I feel like I've done good and never feel like I've done enough, he always makes his, he always makes sure that I keep going, that there's more out of me I can get. So in the summertime, just shooting a bunch of shooting, he's put us as a team and me, through by myself, he just always tells me he believes in it. So just keep shooting. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. And that was just a that was a big part of my game and just me not be hesitant and just me being interested in my jump shot. And that's that's what I've been doing. It's been working for me. Hey Tehran, it's been sort of a roller coaster season for you guys in league play. Uh started out three and one, lost three in a row. Now you've won two of three. You're back at five hundred in contention to host a, a playoff game come March. So Tell me, with being so shorthanded, tell us how is coach managed practices? What's it like being on a roster where there's only six, seven healthy bodies? Well, even though it's only seven of, seven of us playing, it's still a collective group effort. Everyone that's hurt is still active. Everyone's still loud. It's still as loud as it was if everybody was on the court. And coach been preaching adversity when we had everybody. So now that we're facing adversity, it, it's only better for us and helps us when it's time to face these other teams that aren't shorthanded as us. So we just, we still compete. We still are being tough with each other in practice and getting on each other and making sure we're paying attention to little things. And like I said, it's a collective effort. This coach still, does he suit up ever? Does he have to get out there with you guys now? Sometimes he get out there. He, he definitely makes a couple of jump shots too. Wait, does he still, he still has it? Like, can yes. he still go? He All right. So if can. you're going to play him one-on-one -on -one to seven, who, who's winning this game? Me. <laughs> I've yeah, never seen right. anyone beat me, especially not a coach. That's a good answer. That's the right. Don't don't tell him that though. All right, <laughs> we're all good. Ryan, what do you got? Yeah, I don't think Coach Copeland. Once Tehran gets to his left shoulder, he's a Cope's in trouble. I think. I think it's <laughs> hurts from there. And you know about you have a. I love your bully ball game. It's kind of a throwback. You know, we talked about the three point shooting, but you know when you get to the left shoulder in the mid range game or getting down the lane. You know, it's, it's fun to watch, and it's kind of a unique scoring acumen that you have. I'm just curious about the origins of it. When did it start? Were you that type of player in high school? How has it developed over time? Well, when I was younger and I was playing, I'm from New York, so that's just kind of that from. It's just New York is known for guards, like crafty guards, but also known for just being tough. And being out there in the parks playing every summer against older guys, I just had to develop a game where I'm, I'm being strong and physical down there because if not, I'm not going to be able to be able to produce on the court, especially in the summer tournament. So that just translated to my game in college and over time. So, Teron, I want to keep this theme going about New York. So you, we're both Brooklyn guys. You went to Brooklyn Collegiate. I went yes. to one of your rivals, South Shore. Okay, uh, okay. In, yeah, yeah. I, I was reading up on some of those games that you had with them. Uh, tell me about, like, you, you started mentioning about, you know, playing bully ball. What is a New York player to you? Like what is when you hear somebody's a New York City player, how do you describe that? And how much of your style, you know, came from, you know, growing up and playing on the courts in Brooklyn? I feel like a lot of uh Brooklyn or just New York games is just a it's just a different type of like swag to us, just how we carry ourselves. And then on the court, it's just we talk trash here and there. That's just how it is in the summertime and just how it is on the court. But it isn't New York is is big, but Brooklyn is kind of small. So everybody knows each other. So it's all from just a competitive love for the sport. That's just how it is. Brooklyn guys got to stick together, Ryan. You're not part of this. <laughs> no, I'm a Connecticut kid. 
All right, I got one more question for you, Teron. So yeah. I mentioned before you're in the mix for a home playoff game. That's got to be one of the goals that the team has right now. What do you need to do to get yourself in that, that position over these last few weeks of the season? Well, I feel like we, we kind of showed ourselves against FDU, but we can also do better. Just got to get it from the defensive end. Where it's only seven of us, so we just have to stick together, band together, uh, be smart on defense, be smart with our fouls, and just stay and stay together and make our offense from our defensive end and just work with each other on the offensive end. And I feel like we got a pretty good shot. All right. You heard from Teron Allen coming on strong lately for Wagner. Wagner right in the mix in uh, NEC playoff contention for a home game, as we mentioned. Teron, best of luck the rest of the season, and maybe we'll get to catch up with you down the line. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Teron Allen for taking the time to be on our open mic this week. And now we want to move on to our NEC TV games of the week. Doubleheader Saturday once again. We open up in Syracuse, Stonehill at LeMoyne, 2 p.m. in a game that will air on ESPN Plus and Yes Network. Big game for the Dolphins if they want to keep pace and get a home game in the first round of the NEC tournament for sure. Now at 5-5, five and five, they need to protect their home court. They're going to be favored against Stonehill. And, you know, they're one of the best offensive teams in the league, despite Merrimack holding them to 50 points last Saturday. They're still first in three-point percentage in the league play at 40%, first in free-throw percentage at 79%. So this is a potent offense. And if I'm, you know, if I'm the champion, I'm a little worried about Max Zagorowski because when Zagorowski gets going, he's only scored 20 points three times this year, but Stonehill is 2-1 and one when he does that. So Zagorowski, we know – what kind of a weapon he is from the perimeter. If you get Zagorowski going, Felder going at the same time, Stonehill could be a dangerous opponent for LeMoyne. The second half of our NEC TV doubleheader on Saturday, the scene shifts to Staten Island, where we have, this is a big game, Sacred Heart at Wagner, 4 p.m. on ESPN+. When it comes to playoff positioning and the chance to potentially host a first-round game, this could this one could play into tiebreakers. It's a big one. It's a big one, especially for Wagner. They got to win the home game. Sacred Heart already got them on their home floor. So if Sacred Heart wins this game, they're going to get the critical tiebreaker for that seeding, get the, you know, the 2-0 and sweep on the Seahawks. So Wagner's got to play well. Obviously, I mean, will the real Sacred Heart please stand up? We don't know what they're going to get. You know, is Joey Riley going to be productive against this, you know, hard-nosed half-court defense? Nico Gillette's been up and down. Alex Sobel's, you know, coming off a little bit of an injury. So, for Wagner, you know, you got you to control the pace. You want to keep Sacred Heart at bay, kind of limit the transition opportunities and, and make this a low-scoring, low-possession game. I think that would favor Wagner. Ryan, can you believe there are only three weeks left in the regular season? It's amazing. Yeah, it, it's kind of flew by. I mean, I'm dealing with my own travel league with my daughter, 10U. So between the NEC season and that, I mean, it's it's been a whirlwind. It's, it's, it's amazing that we're in mid-February now. I caught a glimpse of Ryan's daughter's uh, U10 game the other day. All I can say is we have a, another Anthony Latina, Rob Crimmel in the making. Coach Peters trotting out a super team. They've made the playoffs. They scored eight points. All is good. All points, is we good. Won. We still won the game. We won, we won the game. All Great is defense. good in Highlander, uh, junior Highlander hoops land this week. Uh, so congrats to... Uh, Ava Peters and the Fighting Highlanders. And we will talk more about NEC hoops next week on the NEC on the Run podcast on the NEC Overtime Pod. Thanks, Ryan. My pleasure.